Welcome to the Connection Point Church Podcast. We hope to be an encouragement throughout your week. New episodes are available every Sunday evening and Thursday evening. We also invite you to join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Tonight was prayer, but we're going to get into the Word. We're going to continue in this study on Hebrews. I, I just kind of just just, I don't want to say stumbled upon Hebrews, but when I started reading this book on angels, it led me to the book of Hebrews, and um, and there's just some very, just really just rich and helpful and important themes in the book of Hebrews um, as it relates to, as it relates to Jesus. And so, as we looked at, not last week, because last week was, was outreach, but the week before, we looked at the book of Hebrews, and really the whole message, the whole theme, uh, the whole just just purpose of the book of Hebrews is uh, a discussion that Jesus about Jesus being better, that Jesus is uh, that he is better, that he is better, a better messenger than the prophets and the angels. It starts out the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, who many believe to be um, to be uh, uh, Apollos. Some think it to be Paul. Some think it to be Barnabas. Others think it to be Apollos. But because of certain unique features of the book of Hebrews compared to other of Paul's writings. Most people think it was, was this individual, Apollos, in the Scripture, who the Bible says he was an eloquent man. He was formally trained. He was from an area called Alexandria in Egypt, which had the largest library in the world at the time. He was formally trained. Uh, he was mighty in the Scripture, and he was persuasive teaching and preaching the things of Jesus. And so he was very just polished preacher. He was a very polished preacher, and he became really prevalent in the church at about the time of Acts chapter 18, where Aquila and Priscilla kind of took this preacher in from Egypt as he was kind of traveling through the coasts of Ephesus, teaching what he knew only to be the gospel of, or the ministry of John, just a ministry of repentance, a foreshadowing. And Aquila and Priscilla, this couple, brought him in, taught him Bible studies, and just kind of filled in the rest of his of his theology. And he became mightily used in the in the early church. And and many believe that because of his kind of characteristics, his qualities, his formal training, his eloquence, his in-depth understanding of the Scripture, that he wrote the book of Hebrews. It's a very scholarly book. But nevertheless, we find that in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is a book that tells the story, it paints the picture that Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's a better mediator than Moses. He's a better moderator than the high priests of the Old Testament. He's a better method of sacrifice than the animal sacrifice. He didn't just offer animals to push the sins of the people back a year, but rather he offered his own blood and his own body as a sacrifice, as we're going to take a look at tonight, to, uh, to completely wash our sins away for eternity. Amen. And furthermore, he's a better monument than the tab- tabernacle or the temple. All right? And so last time we looked at Jesus as being better than better than the angels, but tonight we're just going to kind of take a look at the theme of that Jesus is is better than than the priesthood. He's Jesus is is better than the priesthood. And I want to turn your attention to the book of Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to take a look at Hebrews uh, chapter 9. And uh, let's get into the scripture here today. He says, this is from the New Living Translation, just kind of summarizes in a very simple way, and I like it. It says, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in a place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven, all right? 
There, in heaven, right now, He ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship, all right? Now, you understand, everything in the Old Testament about the tabernacle, uh, I just had a friend reach out to me, just started pastoring, and I think it's funny because I did the same thing when I first started pastoring. I did a series on the tabernacle. It's just like, it's structure, and it's just something to work through, and so he was asking for some notes on it, and, I, and I, it's, been a, it's been years since I've taught on it, but everything we see in the tabernacle uh, we find is a, is a pattern, a template, a foreshadowing, a blueprint of what is taking place in heaven, all right? Currently, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord, not by human hands, verse 3, and since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. And what, So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is just like what we saw in the Old Testament, the high priest would go in and he would make offerings and sacrifices here on earth. Jesus had to do in heaven as our heavenly high priest. He made an offering and a sacrifice that was presented not here on earth in a, in a holy of holies on the earth, but he actually entered into the sanctuary in heaven, into the presence of God, into the heavens, the heavenly, and he offered his blood as a redemptive sacrifice for our eternal salvation. Let's look at what Hebrews 9 says says this, so Christ has now become the high priest, not of the Old Testament, but of this New Testament church, over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, there it is in that better, he's better, he's greater, more perfect tabernacle which is in heaven, which was not made by human hands, it is not part of the created world, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and of calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time, and secured our redemption forever. Again, in the Old Testament, they would offer animal sacrifices, and it would roll the sins back one year. They would have to do it again the next year. But here, Jesus has offered a sacrifice for all time, all eternity. Verse 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Verse 14, just think how much more Think about this. The blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God for the power of the eternal spirit. Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Someone say amen. Now we're going to pray here in a minute. But as good of a news as that is, there's also a warning in the book of Hebrews. I'm not going to touch on it tonight. But the warning of Hebrews is simply that if that Old Testament sacrificial system that was moderated by Moses came with great um, repercussions and consequences for violating it, he said, if that was an inferior form of redemption, how much more should we obey the Word of God, fear the Word of God, adhere to the Word of God, for a sacrifice that is so much greater than just the blood of goats, but of the blood of Christ. And so there's also, there's a blessing, but there's also a warning. But we're going to get into this tonight, just talk about how Jesus is, is better than the Old Testament priesthood. But let's pray one more time. Let's ask the Lord to help us. How's that for an introduction? Is that all right? Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, thank you, God, for your word. I pray just for the next couple minutes, God, encourage us, strengthen us. Help us have a deeper appreciation and understanding of what happened on Calvary and just how precious your blood is for our everyday life. And we give you praise and honor. And we 
ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Got some congestion here. All right, I want you to imagine just for a moment with me, if you will, I want you to just imagine a conversation. Maybe you've had something similar in your life. And a conversation between a Christian and someone who knows just really absolutely nothing about the basics of the Christian faith. And they don't know anything about the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're really just starting from a blank slate. They're interested, they're intelligent, they're curious, they have some maybe religious framework in their life, but they have no understanding of what the gospel was about, why Jesus came, who he was, what he died for, why he was buried, these things that we often take for granted and just just assume in our understanding and in our presentation of preaching and of the gospel. But this person knows nothing. And so you've got to really start from the very basics. And as this individual, this Christian is trying to explain to this non-believer, this non-believer is intently listening to this summary of the earthly ministry of Jesus and the gospel. And by the conclusion of this conversation, this presentation, there's some basic questions that this unbeliever has that are coming to mind. And just some basic questions that have come up through the presentation of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. The very first question that you could assume that someone who knew nothing about the gospel would ask is, why or, or, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to this earth? And, and obviously for a Christian who studies the Bible, the answer is clear. John 1.18, of, of course, and many other portions of Scripture give us the explanation that no man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Another verse of Scripture says that He is the image of the invisible God. And so, and so just to simply answer the question, Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, that Jesus came to manifest God on this earth. And so the next question that you might think that this person would ask is, why did Jesus have to die? If God came to this earth, if Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, then why then did He have to die? Well, you could point to several portions of Scripture, but one particular Scripture, Galatians 1.4, says He gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God. And so the reason Jesus died, the reason Jesus came, is that He would, he would offer Himself through His death for our sins so that we could escape the sin and the corruption that is present in this world. Okay, well, let's assume that was a satisfying answer. The next question that they might ask is, okay, if he came and he died, then why did Jesus have to resurrect? Why did he have to be resurrected? And You can look at a lot of portions of Scripture. Romans 4.25, he says he was delivered over to death for our sins, but he was raised to life for our justification. In other words, Jesus came and he was raised to life so that he could conquer death. That in raising from the dead, he could prove and demonstrate that God is not bound by our earthly perception of death and sickness and the grave. That through the power of God's Spirit, through faith in God, through faith in Jesus Christ, that we too, we can resurrect, we can, we can overcome death and sin in the grave. Amen? And so the fourth question that would come about from this conversation of why did Jesus come? Who was Jesus? Why did he have to die? Okay, then why did he have to be resurrected? The, the next question that you could assume that someone might ask would be, then why then did Jesus have to ascend into heaven? The gospel tells us that after Jesus died, was buried, he resurrected, he met with his disciples, 
and then he ascended into the heavens? Well, the answer to that question really is found in the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews gives explanation more than any other portion of Scripture. It gives an in-depth explanation as to why Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection and what his objectives and responsibilities were in heaven once he ascended. And the answer, to sum it up, the reason Jesus had to die, shed his blood, resurrect from the grave, and enter into heaven is that Jesus served on our behalf as a great high priest. He went into heaven, into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God and the angels, not into an earthly tabernacle, not into an earthly building, but he literally went into the real tabernacle, the real dwelling of God's presence, and he offered an eternal sacrifice, his blood, not just for a temporary relief from sin, but for an eternal redemption for the sins of mankind. And that really is the meaning and the message of Hebrews, that Jesus is better than the high priests of the Old Testament because Jesus is the full and the final expression of God. More than anything we've received in an Old Testament covenant, more than anything you receive under the Old Testament law and on Moses, that Jesus is greater than Moses, He's greater than the prophets, He's greater than the angels, He's greater than the high priests because Jesus has fulfilled the complete purpose and plan of that Old Testament priest to make sacrifices for God's people. And so we find here in the book of Hebrews that because of this, the book of Hebrews is called by many scholars the fifth gospel. The first four gospels describe what Christ did for us while he was on earth. We know what the gospels teach. They are handwritten personal accounts by followers of Jesus, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and they describe the birth and the life and the ministry and the miracles and the teaching and the preaching and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ while he was on this earth. But the book of Hebrews does something a little bit different. It describes the life of Jesus or the ministry of Jesus or the accomplishments of Jesus, what Jesus did not on this earth, but what he, what he did for us while he was actually in heaven. And so it's with that understanding, it's with that context that we look again at the two texts that we've read this, this evening in Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 9 to get a fresh look at what the Bible describes here as Jesus' ministry or purpose in ascending into heaven after he had resurrected. Let's look again Hebrews 8 through a new lens or a new understanding. It says, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in a place of honor besides the throne of the majestic God in heaven. All right, and it goes on, verse 2, it says there he ministers in the heaven. The Bible says he's there ministering, he's there interceding on our behalf. That we have an adversary that accuses us, we have an adversary that would blame us, we have an adversary, a spiritual adversary that would try to entangle us in sin. But Jesus is in heaven ministering and interceding on our behalf. That the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands, He's there ministering on our behalf. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our priest must make an offering too. Chapter 9, he says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have become, that have come. He has entered. He has, entered that, that, uh, uh, he has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of his created world, 
But with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered that most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers could change people's bodies from the ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God for the power of the eternal spirit. Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for sins. Amen. And so we find here that Jesus, what he accomplished in dying, buried, and being resurrected and ascending into heaven is he literally brought a sacrifice of his own blood into heaven before the very presence of God and the angels and made an eternal, redemptive offering on our behalf in God's plan of redemption. And so I want to just take a look here just for a minute very quickly and compare what happened in the Old Testament priesthood and their ministry in making a temporary sacrifice and what Jesus did in making an eternal sacrifice. Let's just take a step back here to that Old Testament plan of redemption, to that Old Testament tabernacle. If you want to pull that picture up here, we have this picture of the tabernacle. And it was this tabernacle which was the Old Testament meeting of God. When God brought his uh, people out of the land of, of Egypt, it was that place in Egypt that represented sin and slavery. It was kind of like before we were serving Christ, that Egypt represented in a physical sense, what we experienced spiritually when we were in this world living in sin, we were slaves to our old lusts and our old desires. But God set, him, set them free and they escaped through the blood of, uh, 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 of the sacrifice that was placed on the doors. I don't want to get too in-depth in the details, but He gave them deliverance through the Red Sea. And then now He brought them out into the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that God gave them a pattern and a plan with measurements and dimensions and materials and colors and a process for building this structure that you see here. And it was here that God intended not to burden His people with just too many things to do, do with rules and patterns and, 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 and plans, but instead God wanted to establish a truth that, that men could approach God on His terms. And so he said, let, let them make me a sanctuary according to the pattern that I will show them. And so seven times in Scripture we read that that tabernacle was made or was made according to the pattern of God. God had a purpose and a plan for God to meet with, for man to meet with God. That God wanted to create a place where his presence would dwell, that, 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 that man could run to to find mercy and grace and redemption for their sins. And so God created this tabernacle, and it was this tabernacle that would follow the children of Israel, that the children of Israel would follow. And it was a very significant thing in the Old Testament. It created for us a pattern or a blueprint for God's plan of salvation. It was significant in the Old Testament. There were 40 verses of Scripture, I want you to put in perspective, that, that, that were given to the Bible regarding creation. There were 70 verses which were given to the birth of Jesus Christ, but there were over 400 verses in five books that were written solely for the purpose of talking about this tabernacle pattern, all right? And so here was this structure, and it was here that was an enclosure, and the 12 tribes of Israel would, 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 would circle around this tabernacle structure. It was this tent that was about 150 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. The walls were made of white linen uh, hangings, those walls on the, on the outer courts, and they were hung up by a total of about 30 wooden pillars 
that were about seven and a half feet tall each. They were, there were 20 pillars along the north and the south walls, and, and there were 10 pillars along the east and the west walls. And each pillar was made of wood set up upon bases of brass and crowned with silver caps. All of the tribes would strategically position themselves along the four walls. and They would position, be positioned in front, of, uh, in front of the front and the back and each side. And, and God's presence would dwell there right in the middle of that center building called the, the, the tent of meeting. And we're going to talk about this. It was that tent of meeting that contained two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place. I'm not going to get too far in the weeds here. Just hang with me. But it was this, this tabernacle, this structure, this fenced-in place where God's presence would dwell and where the priesthood, those Old Testament priests that, would, that God had called to serve God on behalf of man would come in and they would make sacrifices and atonement for the sins of the people. And it was this ministry of the priest, particularly the Old Testament priest, that would enter into that, that, that internal structure called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place once a year at the Passover, and they would bring a special sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. Once a year, they would enter in where the presence of God would dwell. It was the only time a priest was allowed to enter into that room where the presence of God dwelled, where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that contained the, the, the stone tablets of Moses. It contained a jar of manna that God had provided miraculously to demonstrate he's able to provide for his people in a budded rod of Aaron that demonstrate that God, that God, can, uh, that God can do the miraculous. And it was there that, 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 that box called the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence would dwell on top of it. And one time a year, the priest, the high priest, would prepare himself ceremonially. He would cleanse himself. He would go through several uh, rituals and rites, and he would create sacrifices just for his own personal cleansing and purification. And only one time a year was he allowed to enter into that Holy of Holies to bring an offering of blood as an atonement for the sins of his people. And it was through this process... That, 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 that God's people would be atoned for. And I want to just kind of go through what this tabernacle would look like and compare it quickly to what Jesus did. It was this tabernacle, as you first entered the gates, the very first piece of furniture that you would see there, and you see it right there at the biggest piece of furniture, that, that box there, it was called the brazen altar. It was the largest piece of furniture in that tabernacle. And in fact, it was so big you could fit all, fit all the other pieces of furniture in it. It was here that the people would come to this brazen altar and they would bring an animal, uh, a goat or a lamb or, or doves, and they would, they would bring these sacrifices to a priest and they would literally lay their hands on the, on the animal and they would confess their sins over the animals. And their sins would transfer to those animals and then the priest would take that animal to that brazen altar and they would literally sacrifice, it would slit its throat, it would bleed out, and they would place that animal sacrifice, which represented the sins of their people, on that altar. It was that brazen altar that was a messy place, it was a bloody place, and it was a place that demonstrated that sin equals death. God wanted his people to realize that when you sin, that something has to die as a result of sin. And that priest would take that animal sacrifice and they would lay that animal sacrifice on that brazen altar. And that animal sacrifice would be consumed by fire and it would, it would, it would ascend up into the heavens as a sweet savor or a sacrifice before God for the sins of the people. 
that, that priest would then move from that brazen altar to the next piece of furniture that was in that tabernacle called the laver of water. And it was here that this laver of water, it was a pot of water, literally a big pot, a round pot made out of mirrors that God had instructed the women, the faithful women, who, would, who the Bible describes as surrounding themselves around the tabernacle. They, they, would, they would be close to the tabernacle. They weren't allowed into the, the outer courts, but they would assemble in prayer and in devotion to God and in consecration to God. The Bible would describe these women as being devoted and consecrated to God. These were holy women, godly women, consecrated women, committed women, prayerful women. And the Bible specifically asks that those women, these godly women, would, 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 would provide their mirrors. And God used their mirrors uh, to, to, to make the material out of this brazen, this, this, this uh, laver of water. It was this laver of water that was a polished uh, material. And the priest would put water into it. And after the priest had, had dirtied himself and bloodied himself by making atonement and sacrificing that animal, he would then head to that second piece of furniture made of the mirrors of those godly consecrated women. He would look into that laver of water and he would, he would see a reflection of himself and it was there that he would wash himself. He, was, he would cleanse himself. And it was here that we, that we find that a type that as, as repentance represents the brazen, the brazen altar, that, that laver of water is a time of reflection in the Word of God and, and reflection in God's Word to, to, to see ourselves and to be cleansed by the washing of His Word. It was here that he would cleanse himself and prepare himself that then he would then begin to move into the next phase of this tabernacle which was called the holy place or the tent of meeting. That tent of meeting contained two places, the holy place and the most holy place. Just hang with me. The tent of meeting inside the fenced area was 40 feet, 45 feet long and 15 feet high. It was completely enclosed and covered by badger skins of various colors. Inside this tent was where two rooms separated by a veil, the holy place and the holy of holies. And only the priesthood was allowed to enter into the tent of meeting through the, through the one door. And inside of this holy place, there were three pieces of furniture. There was a, a table of shoe bread. There was a golden candlestick, and there was an altar of incense. It was here that the priest would make spiritual, uh, uh, would perform spiritual rites of ministry. That he would he would he would light altars. He would light the incense on the altar of incense as prayers, and he would provide. He would pro, he would replace the bread, and and it was here that the, the 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 golden candlestick would would continually be filled with oil, so that uh, a representation of God's spirit to never go out. And it would it would be he, here he would go in and he would perform rites of, 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 of prayer and religious obligation to God here in the holy place. But one time a year would that high priest enter into the holy of holies. And it was this one room that was completely veiled off from the rest of that tent of meeting. And only once a year that high priest on the day of atonement would make atonement for the sins of the people. It was here in that, inside this holy of holies where there was one piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. This golden box with cherubim angels sitting on top, looking down at the top of the surface of the box called the mercy seat. And inside of that mercy seat, as I mentioned, were the stone tablets, the jar of manna, and Aaron's rotted bud. And on top of that box 
where the priest would sprinkle the blood was called the mercy seat. It was here where God's presence was said to dwell on the earth. It was the seat of God or the footstool of God on the earth. And here it was that the presence and the glory of God would dwell among his people. And it was here that as that priest, that high priest, once a year on the day of atonement would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement, that God would receive that sacrifice and he would push the sins of the people back one more year. It was such a holy place. It was such a, a sacred place that, that the high priest would tie a rope around his ankle with bells attached to it in case he was unworthy to enter into the presence of God, in case God struck him dead for, for a failure to, to come before him in holiness and, and in godliness and in righteousness, that the other priest could literally pull his dead, lifeless body out of the holy. It was such a holy and sacred place. And as he would make that sacrifice, he would then exit out of that holy of holies, and God would take the sins of his people and push it back one more year. And they would have to continue in this ritual year after year after year, only receiving temporary relief and redemption from their sins. But we find in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was so much better than that Old Testament priest that he didn't have to enter into a physical tent. He didn't have to enter in with the blood of goats or with calves or a, spot, a spotless lamb because not only was he the priest, but Jesus came to also be the sacrifice. And whereas the blood of goats and bulls and lambs would not suffice before God for eternal redemption, Jesus offered his own spotless, pure, sinless blood. Not only did he shed his blood as the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world, but as a great high priest, he entered not into a physical tabernacle, but when he ascended into heaven, he entered into the very heavenly tabernacle of God before the presence of God where he shed and prepared and brought his blood before the very throne of God to offer for the redemption of mankind. And because of this, because of Jesus' sinless life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ultimate ascension into heaven to serve as our high priest, to make supplication and intercession for our saints, and to offer his blood on our behalf. We have a high priest that is greater than any priest in the Old Testament. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than any of the prophets. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the tabernacle. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than the old covenant because he has fulfilled everything that we see and he is better and greater than all of that. And so we find here in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 28, that the scripture concludes or this teaching just sums it up. It says, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, that this is why the tabernacle and the everything in it, this is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. Verse 24, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter into heaven to offer himself again and again every year like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. 
but rather he came and he, 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 if, that he had he, if that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again and again and again ever since the world began. But now, once and for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death and his own sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes the judgment, so also Christ was offered once and for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people, he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. And so Jesus Christ truly, when he ascended into heaven, served as our great high priest, not in an earthly tabernacle, but in the very throne room of God in heaven. Stand with me tonight. As you read through the book of Hebrews... What we find here is it's both, it's both an encouragement and it offers also a warning because it says here that if Jesus' sacrifice was so much greater than an Old Testament sacrifice, that in the Old Testament you see that there was great penalty and repercussion for not obeying the Word of God and the will of God and the pattern of God and the plan of God and the free offer of redemption that God offered, he said, how much more shall we escape if we neglect so great of a salvation? That if we really know and believe that Jesus' sacrifice was so much better than what we see in the Old Testament, then we should be so much more devoted and committed to obeying and serving the plan of salvation that Jesus has offered. Amen? Amen. So let's pray tonight as we close. Let's ask the Lord to help us, to not only encourage us, but to, uh, to strengthen us as we, uh, as we seek to live a life pleasing to Him. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord Jesus, God, thank You, Lord, for Your Word tonight. God, thank You, Lord, for...